0: welcome my name is Dr. Jonathan Vorse and thank you for downloading our podcast today on working the word make sure you hit that subscribe button to receive new podcasts every week Thank you for your support at jvors.org and enjoy the message today okay uh, just uh, so we're starting a, a new series here this week we're starting a new series called Family Plus. We're just going to do three weeks. Today, we're going to talk about fathers. Next week, we're going to talk about mothers. And after that, we're going to talk about kids. And so we're going to uh, be starting that here this morning. Uh, before we get into it, uh, just let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together and to hear your word today. I pray that you would touch me to be able to effectively communicate what the Holy Spirit would like to say today. Help me, Lord, uh, to be able to share with clarity that it would be clear and that, would, that it would uh, be received uh, as coming forth with love. And we thank you for it. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I have a little something that I ran across about 5 or 5.30 this morning. And um, so uh, I call it opening humor. So I want to share it with you here this morning. I tried not to wake the family up when I read this. I laughed out loud. It's called Mommy Ate It. For weeks, a six-year-old lad kept telling his first-grade teacher about the baby brother or sister that was expected at his house. One day, the mother allowed the boy to feel the movements of the unborn child in her stomach. The six-year-old was obviously impressed but made no comment. Furthermore, he stopped telling his teacher about the impending event. The teacher finally sat the little boy down and asked, Tommy, whatever has become of that baby brother or sister you were expecting at home? Tommy burst into tears and confessed, I think mommy ate it. (laughs) Because he felt it in her belly. Genesis 1.28 says this, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. The first words from God, that ever came into the ears of created man was not, Wow, I made you in my image after my likeness and you look like me. Wasn't that? It wasn't a good job God thing. The very first words that ever came into human ears that were created by God was a command. And that command was these words, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over everything that moves on the earth and in the sea and the fowl of the air. God hasn't changed His mind. God has given man dominion, which means the right to rule. We're talking about fathers today in this fatherhood series, and I want to begin by talking just a little bit about the fatherhood of God, about the authority of God about the power of Calvary. I want to talk to you a little bit about that and then we're going to use that to parlay into some of the things that the Bible says uh, about fatherhood and about being the man of our home and about being in authority in our home. God is referred to as Father only about 15 times or so in the Old Testament. But when you get into the New Testament, I've read different amounts, different numbers, But it's always over 200. The last one that I read this past week was 253 times we find God referred to as Father in the New Testament. And that's from Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology. So what's the difference between the God of the New Testament and the God of the Old Testament? He's the same God. He has the same power. He has the same authority. But what changed? What changed was Calvary. That's what changed. That's what changed things. Calvary made it possible for us to have a spiritual family. Calvary made it possible for you to become my brother and for you to become my sister. Spiritual brother and spiritual sister. In the Old Testament, that wasn't possible. And I'll show you in just a few moments through the Scriptures. In the Old Testament the relationship that man had with God was different than the relationship that man has with God in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, men and women were friends of God. They were servants of God. In the New Testament, we have the opportunity because of Calvary to enter into sonship with God. And being a son and being a servant is two different levels of relationship. So we look here in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, and the Bible says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Jesus Christ. So the difference between our relationship with God on this side of the cross and the relationship with God that those that had on the other side of the cross, which was before Calvary, is servanthood, friend of God, or sonship. Now, God blessed Abraham and called him the friend of God. And God blessed him stupendously. If God would bless a friend like that, how do you think God will bless a son? Now, here's something that I want to kind of bring out because I want us to understand something. We talk about, well, God blessed Abraham like that and God can bless me too. When we say that, we're forgetting our position in Christ. Because our position in Christ doesn't just give us access to what God wants to bless us with, it gives us access to everything that God has. So instead of receiving the blessing, we become the blesser. It's a different level of relationship when instead of getting up in the morning and saying, God, I pray that you would bless me today. When you get up in the morning and you say, God, I pray that you would help me be a blessing to someone today. It's a different level of relationship. We have the right to have that level of relationship with God because of Calvary. And that is a sonship level of relationship. And the Bible says, heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. Verse number six, it said, because you're sons of God, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. Translated out, Abba, Father means Daddy God. So now we can call him Daddy God. Abraham couldn't call him Daddy God. David couldn't call him Daddy God. Job couldn't call him Daddy God. The prophet Isaiah couldn't call him Daddy God. The prophet Hosea couldn't call him. We can call him Daddy God. And we don't even have to be a famous prophet. We don't have to be a famous preacher. We don't have to be a famous singer. We don't have to be a huge leader. Just by by virtue of the fact that we've been to Calvary, that the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us from all all sin, that we've entered one time into the holy place, and, and we've come into atonement with God, which literally means we become at one with God, by virtue of that fact, we can call Him Daddy God. Now, in the Old Testament also, things were pretty much designed for Jewish people. And in the New Testament, you had Gentiles, Gentiles, which were referred to as outcasts, which were referred to as dogs, which were referred to as those other people, the heathens, the pagans, those that were idol worshipers and all of that. And so the Bible talks about in the New Testament how that The wild ones can be engrafted into the vine and become part of the family of God. Romans chapter 11, verses 22 through 25. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness. If you continue in His goodness you will be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. Now listen, verse 23, you've got to read this right. It says, and they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, they shall be grafted in. So what this is talking about is people that have went astray, but now they've come back, they've been restored to faith, and now they can be grafted back in. And the Bible said God is able to graft them in in again. But that's because of faith. That's because of faith. Everything that you receive from God, you're going to receive by faith. I remember years ago, the Lord spoke to me back around the year 2000 or so when we started learning faith. And we'd, I'd been in the ministry for many, many years. I'd pastored churches. And Donna and I, we were sitting under Pastor Callahan, who's our pastor, Pastor Ron Callahan from Lexington, Kentucky. Not the Church of God, Ron Callahan, but a different Ron Callahan. 77 years old now, and he's standing in his pulpit this morning preaching. I watched him a little bit back in my little prayer room before I came out here. Standing up there preaching on the book of Acts and how, the, how God is moving today. He'll be here in February, and for the first time in 10 years, you'll get a chance to meet my pastor. But he began to talk to us about that. And, and, and we come into this faith thing, and we begin to realize, wow, there's a whole lot more to this than what we knew. And so we, it's by faith. And the Lord spoke to me many years ago. Sitting under him, the Lord spoke to me. He said, whatever you get from this point forward, you're going to receive by faith. See, I grew up in old time Pentecost. In old time Pentecost, you begged God for things. You got around the altar and you cried out to God and you bellowed and you wailed and you tarried and held on until God came through. And all of a sudden, I was taught, you can receive things by faith. You can walk by faith. You can talk by faith. You can live by faith. You can manifest things by faith. And I began to learn how to work the Word because I learned the word will work if you work the Word. And so we began to work the Word and we started, our life turned around because we learned how to work the Word of God. Our faith begin to come uh, alive again. So they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, in other words, if they enter back into faith, shall be grafted back in, which is the life source from heaven, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these which be the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be coming. So basically what all of that means is if... The Jews were to not walk by faith and they were to come back and start walking by faith that God could bring them back into the family of God. And then when we go on, we find out, if we continue on there, we find out that He also made it possible for those who are Gentiles, those who are non-Jews, to also become part of the family of God. And the Bible says it like this. We've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So we see this as the fatherhood of God, We don't we? We see it as the fatherhood of God. We see God as our provider. We see God as our protector. We see God as one that loves us. We see God as one who cares about us. We see God as one who takes care of business. We see that. We see God who is into family because he said, you know what? I want I want to have a spiritual family. I don't want to just have servants, and I don't want to just have friends. I want to have sons, and I want to have daughters, and I want to have a family. And so we see God who is in family. So looking at God and who God is and the authority structure that we find, at, find in the Scripture uh, as it pertains to God and as it pertains to our families, then we see God as the model for man on the earth. The fatherhood of man, the manhood of man, the the husbandry of man. We see the model that we should be looking for. Now, some of you that aren't married, this will help you see what you need to look for in a man. Some of you that are married, you don't need to be looking at your man and saying you need to snap up. You need to sit there and you need to pray that God will speak to your man. Okay? Okay? And some of us next week uh, will find out, if you're not married, you'll find out maybe what you should be looking for in a wife or in in a woman, in a good woman, and, and different things like that. And so we can just go on there. So let's start talking about the fatherhood of man. Understanding that God himself was the supreme example for manhood. Number one, and I know this is politically incorrect. I'm not real interested in whether it's politically correct or not. I'm consumed with it being biblically correct. So that's what I'm going to share with you today. Number one, God created man to be the leader of the home. If we do things God's way, we get God's results. If we adjust our lives God's way and do things God's way, then we get the blessing of God, the favor of God, the goodness of God, the peace of God in our lives. If we say, well, that really doesn't uh, relate to us anymore because it doesn't really fit into our culture. And so all we start going down that road, then what we're doing is we're setting ourselves up for failure. We're setting ourselves up for chaos. We're setting ourselves up for a lot of things that are just contrary to peace. And so we're going to talk about how to do things God's way. And God has established a divine order in the home, and over the home, God has placed the man. The man is to be the leader of the home. Now just in case you're not understanding this very clearly let me say it like this. The woman's not the leader of the home. The children are not the leader of the home. The dog is not the leader of the home. Mammon papo's not the leader of your home. The man in that home was put there by God and established there to be the leader of that home. Now With leadership comes responsibility, and with leadership also comes authority. 1 Corinthians 11 and 3, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. So those that are in authority are also under authority. We're under the headship of Christ, who is under the headship of God. But listen to what the Word says. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now don't call me a chauvinist, that's the word. So if if you feel like that's chauvinistic, then you're saying the word is. That's what the word says. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1 says this, Likewise ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands. Now it doesn't say you're to be in subjection to every person that calls themselves a husband. You are to be in subjection to your own husbands. Now, you're not supposed to be in subjection to someone else's husband. It doesn't matter who they are. The only person that you're supposed to be in subjection to when it comes to the family structure is your own husband. So, likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives. So then I've heard people say, "Well, what you going to do with that scripture in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21 where the Bible said, well, you're just supposed to submit yourselves to one another in the fear of the Lord. Pastor, what you going to do with that scripture?" That's verse 21. Ephesians 5:21. What are you going to do with it? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to read verse 22. Because it clarifies it. Here's what it says. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. And the Apostle Paul writing to the Ephesian church knew that people would take that scripture out of context and twist twist it up, so he continued to clarify. Verse 22, he said, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And then verse 23, in case there was still a little confusion, here's what he said. For the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Have you noticed that in the passage of the Scripture that I have read to you here today about the husband being the leader of the home and that the wives are supposed to be in subjection to the husband, have you noticed that in the context of everything that I have read, it always went back to as... Christ is the head of the church or the husband being under Christ. So there is spiritual headship and spiritual connotation all the way through it, throughout. So what he's saying is the wife finds her headship in her husband who finds his headship in Christ who finds his headship in God. So if you keep going up the chain of authority, you end up where God dwells. So this all comes down through God. So when your husband starts trying to lead you in a way that's unchrist like he's got off track, he's not receiving that authority or those instructions from Christ, he's gotten off track somewhere. So what do I do when that happens, pastor? You pray for him. Now if he's smacking you around, you get away from me. God doesn't want you to stay somewhere where you're going to be beat up. God doesn't want you to stay somewhere where you're going to be abused like that. And so we see that the husband was created by God to be the leader of the home, to be in the place of authority. And so we we find that authority in, in God. And then secondly, God is love. It's the essence of God. You say, I've never seen God. Have you ever seen love? You felt love. You've been the recipient of what love can produce. But you've never seen love with your own eyes. You've seen the results of love. That's the way God is. God is love. And the man was created by God to love. Ephesians 5.25 says this, Husbands, love your wives once again, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I want you, if you're a husband here today, and your wife is here, I want you to turn and look at her, and I want you to say, I love you. I love you. I love you. Love you, love you, love you, love you, love love Sometimes Donna sends me little notes. She says, I love you big strawberry bunches. We're to love our wives. And then Colossians chapter 3 and verse 19, we're created by God as the leader of our home. Not only are we created to just love our wives, but the Bible says, Colossians 3, 19, we're to love our wives and be not bitter against them. God doesn't want us to be bitter against our wives. Listen to me, men. The greatest gift that you can give to your children is to love their mama unconditionally, sacrificially, fiercely, and openly. The third thing that a man was created for, men were created to protect and they were created to provide. God created you as the man of your home to not just wield a whole bunch of authority, but you're also supposed to love your wife and you're supposed to protect your family, and you're supposed to provide for your family. Here's what the Word says, 1 Peter 3, 5 through 7. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves into subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, and I've tried to get Donna to do this, but she won't, calling him Lord. But she said, no, that's never going to happen. Of course, I'm teasing. I'm teasing her. Whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. And then verse number 7, the Bible says, Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them, speaking of your wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. uh, I want to just kind of point something out here. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, talks about uh, a woman covering her head. When she goes into prayer, she's supposed to cover her head. Now, I like to study things in context, I, and, and, you know, it's just the... Uh, the student in me, and uh, I like to study things in context, and when you study this passage of Scripture in context, it's not talking about you putting something over top of your head when you're praying, it's talking about the covering that the woman lives under when she has a godly man as the head of her home. So when you go into prayer, you're covered. Not with something that's physical. You're covered with godly authority because your husband has taken the responsibility of having authority in the home and he's covering you with that authority, and he's protecting you, and he's loving you, and he's providing for you. Now, verse number seven, I have always found quite amusing. The Bible says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. There's no place in Scripture where the Bible tells the woman to dwell with their husbands according to knowledge, but the Bible tells the husbands to dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Now, why does the Bible say that? Because sometimes, Things can get a little complicated. Right? Amen. The only way to stay engaged with your wife, because see, let, let me let me tell you something. Everybody changes. As time goes on, everybody changes. And and a lot and one of the reasons that the, we don't find a scripture where the Bible says that they're supposed to dwell with us according to knowledge is because whatever we give to a woman, she will multiply. So, if we sow love into her life, then we reap love. We give her our seed, she gives us children. We give her a house, she turns it into a home, right? We give her food, she makes us a meal, she gives us a meal. Whatever we give her, she multiplies. You give her trouble? Sweet Jesus. One of the greatest places that we can practice that scripture, whatever we sow is what we will reap, is when it comes to the relationship that we have with our wives. And so the Bible says that we're supposed to dwell with them according to knowledge. First of all, if you spend enough time studying your wife, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you know your wife's favorite color? How many of you know your wife's favorite flower? How many of you know your wife's favorite food? If your wife looked at you and said, will you go to the closet and get my favorite shoes? Would you know? I would just bring them all out, but would you... But we're supposed to know, we're supposed to dwell with them according to knowledge. And so why are we supposed to dwell with them according to knowledge? The reason is because they keep changing. Right about the time that you figure your wife out, you're thinking, oh, thank you, Jesus, I figured this out. Oh, hallelujah, it's going to be wonderful sailing for the rest of my life. Then that midlife crisis thing shows up and everything changes. I mean, everything changes. And so it's like you have to just relearn her over and over and over again. Now, there's a benefit to that. Keeps you from looking over the fence. Because you're all twisted up trying to figure out your wife. And trying to learn her. Trying to keep her happy. Trying to make her, you know... Uh, be the wife that you want her to be, not through force, but by sowing seeds of kindness and understanding and, you know, just doing the best that you can, you know, but you understand what I'm saying. So it's very important, isn't it? It's very important that we dwell with them according to knowledge. And I've never been able, now, I used to tease Donna all of the time. I told her, I said, when you hit 40, I'm turning you in for 220s. I'm not going to tell you what she told me. It wasn't nice. Not going to tell you what she told me, uh, because this this is not the appropriate place for that. But she hit forty yesterday. No, she hit forty. It's been but anyway, she hit forty. I'm trying real hard not to dig 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 a deeper hole here. And I looked at her and I thought she is the prettiest woman I've ever seen in my life. I did. And I told her that. And, and the older that we have gotten, and you know, I'm not 40 anymore either. In fact, I'm a little older than 50 now. You know, she's not, but I am. And so, and so uh, I just, every now and then I'll look at her and think, wow, all right God, this is awesome. She just gets prettier every year as, as you go on. I've never been able to understand the man who has has spent years and years and years with this woman, she's given him children, she's given him grandchildren, she's given him a life, and then all of a sudden, he thinks that she's got to trade her in for a newer model. You know what the Bible tells us to do? The Bible tells us that we are supposed to rejoice with the wife of our youth. Listen to me, men. You rejoice with her when she's young, that's pretty easy. You rejoice with her when she gets middle-aged. That's a little dicey sometimes because we got some changes going on. We rejoice with her as we get older, when the grandchildren start coming and the great-grandchildren start coming. Listen, life is so much better if you just hook and just rejoice. Just rejoice with the wife of your youth. Amen. Now, we are to protect them and we are to provide for them. 1 Timothy 5 and verse number 8 says this, If any man provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he's denied the faith, and he's worse than an infidel. Now, what's an infidel? An infidel is one who disbelieves the inspiration of the Scriptures and divine and the divine origin of Christianity. So, here's what this means. If you're a man, and you're not taking care of business when it comes to your family, don't tell me you're right with God. He that provides not for his own and especially for those of his own house has denied the faith and he's worse than an infidel. Now, providing for our families is not a suggestion, it's a command. Mama should never have to worry about where her next meal's coming from. She should never have to worry about how the light bill's going to be paid. She should never have to worry about not having a roof over her head. Mama shouldn't have to worry about that. Well, sometimes she does. Well, that's the way they are because, see, we were made, man was made from the earth. We were fashioned, in, or we were we were actually pulled from the earth. If you study that, we were made from the earth. We were pulled from the earth. Man was. But when you study the word made when it comes to the woman, the Bible said God took from the rib and made he a woman. And that word made there in Genesis means that he was That she was fashioned from the man. So it's natural for the man to want to be the hunter. It's natural for the man to want to plant the garden. It's natural for the man to want to do things like that because he was pulled up out of the earth. But the woman was pulled up out of the man. And so her desire, according to scripture, is towards her husband all the days of her life. She was fashioned by a man, she likes fashion. That's why she shops all the time. She likes fashion. So let's continue on here, all right? I'm trying to get this this done here. I'm trying to get this done and stay out of trouble all at the same time. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 10 through 11 says this, Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Listen, men, it's your job to take care of business. If your bills aren't being paid, listen to me, especially young, young men, listen to me. If your bills aren't being paid, you have no business sitting at home playing video games all the day, all day long, and trying to act like you're the Lord over your house. Well, what am I supposed to do? Get a job. Sow some seed. Trust God. Amen? Well, what if I'm not making enough money? Get another job. Work two jobs. Work three jobs if you have to. Get overtime. Create a side hustle. Do whatever you got to do to take care of business. And And this leads me to the last thing that I want to talk about here. It's time for the man talk. I've actually got this down here. It's time for a man talk. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk to some of our young men here for just a few moments, all right? In 1 Corinthians 13 and 11, when I was a child, I spake as a child, understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. My son's 24 years old. He's almost 25 years old. He's married. He's got two kids. He's got a mortgage and he has a car payment. I pulled him to the side here about six months ago. And I sat his little butt down. And I said, listen to me, son. I said, you're going to be 25 years old this year. You're 24, you're going to be 25 years old this year. He was having a little, he needed a little man talk. I said, you have a wife, you have two children, you have a job, you have a house that you got to keep up, you have a car you got to keep up, you've got a pickup truck that you've got to keep up. I said, You can't go back and be a little boy. The days of you being a boy are over for the rest of your life. You're a man now. He looked at me. It was almost like, Oh, no. I told him, I said, You have diapers to buy? you have a house to pay for, you have a wife to pay for, I mean, take care of. You have to be a man. And he shaped up and he's doing fine. When you were a child, you spake as a child, you understood as a child, and you thought as a child, but it's time to grow up. Listen to me, young men. If you're 19 or 20 years old, it's time to grow up. Some people grow up, others have to be pulled up. If you're grown up, praise God, you can amen me. If you need to be pulled up, I'm sticking my hand in the scruff of your collar right now and I'm pulling you right on it. It's time to grow up. If you're 19 or 20 years old, it's time for you to be grown up. You're a grown up man. It's time for you to start taking care of business. So you've got to quit thinking like a child. You've got to quit acting like a child. You've got to quit understanding like a child. It's time to be a man. It's time to man up. Take responsibility for your business. If you're married, your wife and your children, listen to me, I'm trying to help you guys. Your wife and your children are your business. They're not your mama's business, your daddy's business, your aunt's business, your uncle's business, your mama's your papas' business. It's your wife, it's your kids. They're your business. Take care of business. Take care of business, all right? Your bills are your business. Young people making bills, wanting other people to pay the bills. Your bills are your business. It's your car, you pay for it. It's your house, you pay for it. It's your cupboard, you put food in it. It's your toilet paper roll, Talk to your wife, Charmin or Northern, I don't care. Just buy your own toilet paper. (laughs) Take care of business. It's your business. Your bills are your business. Being a godly example to your wife, to your children, and to those around you is your business. You can't go acting like a fool, acting like a heathen, and then come to somebody and try to witness to them about God. It's just not going to work. If you're going to be a godly example, you got to smarten up and, and take care of things. And you need to learn how to be the priest of your home. Being the priest of your home is your business. You pray over your wife. You pray over your children. You speak blessing over your wife. You speak blessing over your children. Well, Dad, I'm going to bring these here. I want you to pray for them. Well, have you prayed for them? I'll pray for them. After you pray for them, because God has set you in that place of authority to pray over your wife, to pray over your children. Now, Grandpa will do it. That's fine. But only after you've taken care of your business. Now, Grandma and Grandpa, in our case, Mama and Papa, stay out of their business so they can conduct their own business. Yeah. All right. <sighs> Woo, Jesus. I'm trying to quit here, but well, I'm, and I'm just about done. Well, I'm telling you right now, I have never in my life Seen grandparents stick their nose in so much where it didn't belong and then gripe and complain because their 25 or 30-year-old son or daughter just won't grow up. The reason they won't grow up is because you won't let them grow up. You keep sticking your nose in their business. You keep trying to solve all of their problems. Listen, let them bump their own head a little bit. Amen. Let them make a few little mistakes on their own. Be there if things fall apart, but if they fall down, they'll get up. They'll figure it out. What did you do? What did you do? Didn't you have to figure things out? You had to figure things out, didn't you? Just because you have got a few extra bucks, when you hit about 50 or a little more than that, you might have a a few extra bucks in in, in your bank account now because you spent all of your life, you know, all that money going out to raise your kids. But they're raised and all of that now. And now all that money that was going out to take care of your kids hopefully starting to go into your bank account for some of your retirement. Just because you got a few extra bucks and your kid hits a rough time doesn't mean that you need to get into your savings for your retirement and go take care of your kids' problems for them. They need to learn how to problem solve. They need to learn how to take care of business. And you need to build so that one of these days, they don't have to pay your bills. Does that make sense? I'm trying to help you here. We're talking about family stuff. Now, I know this isn't usually, oh, we can be filled with the Holy Ghost. We can walk by faith. This is a totally different type of message. I understand. But it's very, very important for us. So, I want to speak... to the men, make sure that you use the authority that God has given you correctly. Don't lord over your household like you're some kind of a dominating ruler. Don't be manipulative, don't be harsh, don't be cruel, don't be mean. Because when you're doing those things, you're not leading, you're just dictating and God is not pleased with you. Now the last thing that I'm going to share with you today, and I'm not going to take a long time to do this in the first service, I'm not going into in this one. But I've put together 10 step-up challenges for men. 10 step-up challenges for men. So these are 10 things that I just kind of jotted down real quick. I actually typed in real quick like that just words of advice that I've learned. And this, these would go, I guess, for younger men and older men alike. But number one, I've learned through the years, just be consistent. Be consistent. And mean what you say and say what you mean. Don't tell people you're going to do something, then don't do it. And don't make promises to your kids that you can't keep. Johnny, if you don't stop that, I'm going to beat you within an inch of your life. No, you're not. You know you're not going to do that, and Johnny knows that too. You're not scaring them when you say that. They know that you love them too much to beat them within an inch of their life. Don't say stuff that you're not not going to fulfill. Don't make promises you're not going to keep. So be consistent, mean what you say. Never punish your kids, but don't be afraid to correct them. Punishing your children is when they get on your nerves and you just smack them. That's punishment. Correction has an expected end. So if you have to correct your children, then correct them and make sure that they know why they got corrected. My son here, not too long ago, I saw him sitting my little granddaughter down, who is two, almost three years old, and... She's uh, perfect in every way, <laughs> but he thought she wasn't one particular time, and so he had to apply the board of education to the seat of learning. And so then he sets her down, and he's talking to her, and do you know why Daddy had to get your butt? And I'm over here thinking I'm going to punch him, you, you know, but no, he no he needed to be Daddy, and I needed to stay out of the way, and I did. And she said, th- <laughs> "Yeah." And so he made her tell him why daddy had to get her butt. So he comes around the corner and he looks at me and he grins real big. And I says, who taught you that? He said, you did. My kids, when I had to whoop them a little bit, every now and then, Nikki got it every day there when she was about. I don't know. She was Lord, Nikki, have you ever had a kid that just... Nikki was that way for just a little bit. Now she's wonderful. But anyways, and she's 28 and wonderful now. uh, It's been a long time. But anyways, listen. Make sure that you're correcting your children and not punishing them, okay? Uh, The third thing that I want to share with you is don't be fake. Don't be fake. Be real around your kids. If you hurt, if you're hurting, it's not wrong for your kids to see a tear come out of your eye. That's not a sign of weakness. God created emotions in men too. The fifth thing I want to share with you as a man is you need to love deeply. You say, well, I fell into love. Well, when you fell into love and hit the bottom, you could start digging from there. Just go as deep as you can with the love. And when you love your wife deeply, when you love I mean, I flirt with Donna from the pulpit sometimes. We've been married almost 30 years, and I've done it for like 30 years. And so, you know, and, and she used to get all embarrassed and everything now and, uh, or, or back then, but she, she doesn't too much anymore, and she just kind of wags her finger at me, and I just get in trouble now. But, but people, somebody asked me once, they said, why do you flirt with her from the pulpit? I said, because I don't want anybody out there to ever think there's room in my heart for another woman. And secondly because I can't help it. I love my wife deeply, deeply. I don't always like her. (laughs) Selah. You can love someone or not like them. You ever been to a family reunion? But I love her, and I like her too, most of the time. Set boundaries for your family. Set boundaries for your wife, for your relationship. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy your kids. Enjoy your life. You go around one time. You need to learn how to enjoy it. I love my work. I do. I love pastoring this church. I love uh, producing ministry. I love being the president of the Bible college. I love I love going and helping uh, other pastors start Bible colleges in their church and make them extension campus of our college. I love that. I love it. I do. But my wife has communicated to me, and all of the love that you have for what you're doing, if you just work all the time, I said it's not work, I love it. She said, if you just work all, it's not work, if you just work all the time, then where's the time for your kids? Where's the time for me? Where's the time for the grandbabies? So on Thursday, we took the whole day off, went to Brooksville, and fed a camel. For real. Had a good time, and came back. And I went back into the office on Friday and on Saturday. i got to be gone two days this week. But when I come home next week, I'll make sure a day or two is set aside for my family. I can't spend my whole life just working even though I love it, even though I love what I do. So you got to learn how to set boundaries when it comes to things like that and enjoy your wife and enjoy your kids and enjoy your life. Uh, The eighth thing that I want to share with you is learn to prioritize God. And this is not sacrilegious to say this, man, listen to me, be holy. God's word says, be ye holy, even as I am holy. We have a responsibility to be holy before God and to be holy before our wife and to be holy before our children and our grandchildren and our extended families. Number nine, step up and lead. Don't be shy about leading. Well, you don't understand. I'm married to a strong-willed wife. I got a strong-willed woman in my house. So do I. (laughs) I have a strong-willed wife. I have a strong-willed mother-in-law. I have strong-willed children. I have strong-willed dogs. I have strong-willed everywhere you look. But I'm alpha. LEAD! Quit making excuses for not being the leader of your home. And then the last thing that I want to share with you, and Charles is going to sing, we're going to stand. The last thing I want to share with you is, for goodness sakes, learn to laugh. Learn to laugh. It's important to laugh. There's things that happen in your body physically, physiologically, when you laugh. It's important to laugh. It is. Look at your neighbor and say, <laughs> I mean, I would laugh. And see, some real laughter came out. Did you see that? Did you see that? Some real laughter came out. It's important to laugh. God's word says this Mary, a merry heart does good like a medicine. So I'm telling you, as your pastor, and I'm encouraging you, take your medicine every day. Find something to laugh about. laugh at maybe laugh with find something to laugh about let's all stand thank you for listening to Dr. Jonathan Vorce on Working the Word we appreciate your love and support visit www.jvorce.org to give a gift today don't forget to subscribe and enjoy the rest of your day always remember the word will work If you work the work, be blessed.